Welcome to Prepare to Care, the ARP podcast with resources and tools to support the millions of family caregivers who provide unpaid care to their loved ones. I'm Marie Pierre, your host for this podcast. Here on Prepare to Care podcast, we've learned a lot about resources for caregivers in the Houston area and beyond. Everything from 211 to long distance caregiving to how to deal with difficult family members. And it's been wonderful advice. But in honor of National Caregivers Month, we want to do something special for this uh, episode. We are inviting one of you, a caregiver, to share her story from the front lines. So today on our podcast, we have Barbara Lewis. Barbara is an extraordinary woman who has taken on the incredible journey of being the main caregiver for her mother here in Houston. She'll be sharing her personal caregiving story and what actually works and what resources she wishes she had more access to in order to care for her mother. So if you think only caregiving professionals have valuable insight, I'm encouraging you to think again. Coming up on Prepare to Care. Barbara, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So, Barbara, um, you are the main caregiver for your mom. How long have you been caring for her? Well, that's a kind of complicated answer. My dad died in 1992, and at that time, I stepped in to take over a lot of things for and with mom, um, mainly financial management and just addressing some of those things. But as the years progressed and mom became more aged, Uh, It became very obvious to me that it was going to end up with her needing more. I could see that, you know, escalating a little bit. And I'll tell you the truth, looking back, the dementia started, uh, it it began long before I thought it was dementia. And I'm a mental health professional. (laughs) My mom's always had some different ways, and I guess all of us are eccentric in some ways or whatever, but she, as I look back, she was doing some things that I just didn't put together because they were just so small. And like what? Different. Give us an example. I, I think maybe 10 years ago, my mom started, and it didn't last long, but she started a little episode where we'd be visiting, and um, all of a sudden she'd go in the room and come back in different clothes. We weren't going anywhere. We hadn't said that there's going to be anything different going on or anything. She didn't say she was going somewhere different. And she'd just come and sit back in the living room and sit down and say nothing. That went on probably for about three or four months, and then it's kind of it stopped, but then it kind of came up every once in a while. Um, what her, one of her sisters, my aunt, one day we were there for the holidays, and my aunt said, Gussie, why, why are you changing clothes like that? I mean, this would be two or three times in in some hours, you know. Um, Then there were times when she loved to bake and cook, and I saw that decreasing, the ability decreasing, but I just thought, she's getting older. She just needs some help. So I'd go in and help her with some things, and that was all right. But I just didn't put that together as I do now, for signs of the dementia starting. So was there like an episode at some point where you said, oh, this is it? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, Four years ago, about four and a half years ago, she fell and uh, she lived alone. And during that time, I was preparing or trying to get someone to come within the home. Um, I was going down more 
um, and going to cooking on weekends and just trying to do things to help her not have so many things to do. It, it began to appear that she just couldn't handle the day-to-day activities that she had been doing. She was always very active with a uh, group in Gonzales that was her old high school and the community center that they had established. And that just, she began to back off of that and just some signs I saw. But during this time, while I'm trying to get more help in the home to come in and help do things, she fell and um, broke her clavicle, her, her right clavicle. And when she got to the hospital and, um, Dr. Saur and everything, she said to us, me and my brother, <clears throat> I'm not going to be able to live by myself anymore. Now, that was really a relief, but it was a surprise because mm. I thought when this happens, I'm going to have a fight on my hands. Right. I'm going to be the one saying, Mom, no more. I'm not coming down every weekend. You're going to stay. With me. She And she was just as clear, and she said, no, I'm not going to be able to stay so was she not in Houston at the time? No, we, we, we're from a very small town about two hours um, east of Houston. In, in Gonzales? Uh-huh, oh, yeah, I, know. I have yeah, friends yeah, in yeah. Gonzales. Okay, so. I, I, okay. I just, nobody's going to know where Gonzales I, is. I know exactly <laughs> where Gonzales is. And so, so you were making the trips every oh, weekend? Yes. That's yeah, a lot if, already. If not every weekend, every other weekend. Every other weekend. Just trying to make sure she was eating, That trying to watch and see what was going right. on. Still didn't think dementia just didn't no one in our family has ever had dementia to my knowledge as long as i've been around uh right now i have a 93 year old aunt who lives alone cooks for herself does everything that's what has happened the the pattern of my family they get into their 90s uh by the time they're 93 94 the women someone has to begin to spend more time with them or we get someone in they still stay in their home that latter month or year however long it is before god says come home we take them or they, you know, have more assistance. And that's just it. And they're doing everything. They're lucid. My grandmother lived until she was 96. Her sisters lived until they were in their 90s. All so, of her. I had no reason to really look for dementia. Right. It was just like, this was a surprise <laughs> that this is happening to my mother. And uh, she, she kind of like, not self-diagnosed, but she herself could say something's not right. I, I can't live alone anymore. So what happened next? My brother, uh, who lives in Austin, wanted to take her to live with him. At that time, I really wanted her to stay where she was. Uh, she had rehab after this fall, and she was at a facility in Gonzales. And Gonzales is only 6,000 people. Right. So everybody knew Miss Gussie. Everybody knew her. And I thought, okay, let's keep her in her environment as long as we can. Uh, everybody that worked there knew her. Every, her. The church and her community, and they'd pick her up, and she'd be okay. But my brother really wanted her to come with him. So I said, okay, that let's try that. I, I didn't think it was optimal. So for three years, he and I shared her because I wanted, of course, to give him some and his wife, he's married, um, some help and assistance and give them some downtime, which I know is needed. So how did that work? Like, did you go pick her up in Austin and I, brought her I, home? I drive to Austin, pick her up, bring her home. I'd keep her for two, three weeks, whatever. You know, I decided and talked to with my brother, and sometimes it depended on what was going on in their right. lives. They had children, and so um, my nephew graduated, so I took her a month, you know, before graduation because they needed to get ready. So it, we, we just did it like that, uh, working with what they needed and when they needed it, and sometimes i just go pick her up because I knew they needed a break. 
So how like did you have to make accommodation in your house or how did you like you still worked at the time? I was not working. Okay. That that was definitely a benefit. A, a plus, right? And a plus. Uh, I had retired and um, now when it first started this four years back, I was still working. But by the time mom started getting worse and needing more help, I I was retired. Right. And so it kind of came about kind of a in a, a very ordered way. But yes, I had to do lots of things at my home. I knew uh, that I would be caring for mom more. So when I bought a new home after retirement, I bought a home with a downstairs master. Not just for mom, but for me. <laughs> you know, I, I have an upstairs, but I knew also for me. But I knew probably mom. So I had a downstairs master. So I just gave up my master for mom and converted it for her. And I moved upstairs. And uh, also, everything in the house really had to be adjusted. Um, in the living room, taking things out of the way. My, I, I need to tell you this. Mom not only has dementia, she's legally blind. Okay. So, <laughs> moving things out of the way, making sure paths are clear, you know, just doing everything that I could think of. To so, make, really, multiple disabilities. Yes. Cognitive and physical. Yes, yes, both. Which complicates the dementia and mom's life tremendously. Uh, and, and mine. I, I had no idea. This was a surprise to me. I have done both medical and mental health care. I have never experienced something this difficult with, with a patient, a client, a, a loved one. I've cared for my loved ones, but they've all had medical disease states. Dementia is totally different, and I had no idea. <laughs> So here you are, right? I mean, you got thrown into this situation. Like, what, what makes it particularly difficult? You know, when someone has a terminal disease like cancer I, I've dealt with or heart problems I've dealt with, you know there is an end point and they know it and they're cognitively able to assist you in what's happening. My dad, when he was passing, we had our talks. We were able to map out things, you know, aunts, my grandmother, we were able to discuss what they wanted, how things were going. With dementia, they are alive, but they're not there. Mm. And that's, I didn't know how hard that would be to watch. For me, it was so difficult to watch and to accept. It's hard to watch. And then you're like, you're left alone with that, yes. right? Literally. Because Literally. the other person cannot... Literally. They're, they're, I guess they're not cognizant of what's going on. No, no. And, and every day's different. Mm. You know, early on, there were days mom would wake up and she was mom. That's the other thing. And, and other diseases, they're still themselves. Mom wakes up some days now and she's not mom most days. Not the mom I knew. Right. You see, and so it makes it so hard. You, you've got another person. You're saying, "Where's my mother?" Right. <laughs> They're and not... you have to care for her because obviously. Yes. Yes. And the care gets increasingly and increasingly and increasingly more. Now that happens in other disease states too, but you're dealing with the confusion, and often they don't know what's going on around them. She always recognized me, but never. Now does she really know what day it is, what time it is? The time orientation is, is awful for my mom. We can have breakfast, and all of a sudden for her, it's evening. 
Okay. And she may say it's time to go to bed and try to return to bed. And, and you've got to manage that whole and situation. Yes, and you're, yes. So is there a point, so at first you were sharing with your brother. Is yes. there a point where you became the primary caregiver? Yes. Um, about a year, a little over a year ago, I made the decision that I was going to get mine for several reasons. But yes, I needed to move her with me. Um, I made that decision knowing what I thought was going to be my ability to care for her because I cared for others in my family. And I, I cannot say and won't say it was a piece of cake, but compared to this, it was a piece of cake. <laughs> I had no, I just, I had no idea how um, overwhelming um, this disease makes you feel incompetent <laughs> or incompetent. Um, in that you you try to fix things or you try to do something and it just doesn't help always. They're in a different world. Um, and being that mental and medical professional, we're into let's solve this. Let's, you know, let's give medication. Let's uh, do another procedure. Let's do some type of intervention that doesn't work. With Does nothing. Well, so how were you dealing? I mean, I'm sure there were doctors involved, but day to day, oh, yes. it was just you. Oh, yes. Do doctors are involved. Uh, yes. But there's not, there's no, there's no cure. There's, there's no, no cure. treatment. Right. Uh, so it's definitely constant care. That's, right. that's what it is. It's constant care and love and uh, trying to keep as normal as you can keep things as normal as you can in the home it depends on what you wake up every morning i learned that you wake up and i say good morning mom and how she answers me or how she responds or not or what her actions are and her behaviors tells me what i'm going to do for the rest of the day <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about you how did that affect you over the course of the past year and you're taking a deep breath here so <laughs> tell us about that deep, deep breath. breath um I feel like I'm a very able-bodied person. I feel like I'm very organized. I feel like I have a good mind. I feel like I lost or felt like I lost all of that. I became so disorganized because of so many things that I had to do and everything shifted to mom. So that meant a lot of my things got put on the back burner. Uh, isolation um, and, and it has to be because you can't do, you can't continue to do the things you used to do. I'm an AARP volunteer. I backed out of that. Uh, I did Bible studies. I told you as a motivational speaker, I backed out of all of that. Um, I kept uh, active in some things as much as I could, but everything just has to go on a back burner so you can deal with the day-to-day -day needs of the parent or whomever it is that you're caring for. Uh, I, I feel like I lost a lot of me. I'm getting it back. I've just placed mom. But it's, it's, it's also surprising to me that so much of you goes away. So, and, and for our listeners, I want them to know, you're this incredibly accomplished woman, right? I mean, <laughs> oh, you're a pharmacist, you. you're a therapist, you're a volunteer, you, you run a not-for-profit. You had, like, this... this extremely accomplished professional life, right? Yes. And then you retire, the time that one of most of us think, oh, now I'm going to enjoy life or whatever it is. And you fall into, and you didn't fall, I mean, you choose that caregiving yes. situation. Yes. Yes. But then it just kind of sucked a whole yes. lot of energy. Yes, yes. I love to travel. I haven't traveled in two years. When I came to AARP, my plan was to be in Dubai. Um, that 
had to be put on the back burner. I don't even know if that's going to happen now, but that's okay. I don't want to sound like I'm resentful of it. This is not anything but a love journey for me. Right. It just, so many things, it just took me by surprise that I did not think about. I have so much more empathy for all those who care for dementia patients and family members now. Um, so, in the decision, you as mm-hmm. mom, mm-hmm. you get completely absorbed, and then mm-hmm. you're telling me, okay, she, you, you made the decision to place her, which, mm-hmm. I mean, in, even in this short time, I can feel the tremendous love that you have for her. Thank you. You know, I, I wake up, you want to know how she's doing. How did you get to the decision of placing her? How did you reconcile yourself with that? How did you get to that point? Well, I'm a realist. I saw it coming when I removed her from my brother's home. I knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, an, I'm a communicator, so I started talking with my family uh, about the different things I was seeing. Um, I would tell them, I'd send them progress emails about how mom was doing and what I saw diminishing. I saw my mom's communication decrease, the words decrease, they can't find the words. Um, I saw her inability to come to my home as she used to be able to and find her way from the bedroom to the living room in the kitchen to me having to lead her by hand. So those types of things, I just had to accept the fact we're headed toward permanent placement because I knew I wasn't going to be able to do this. But even in saying that, I don't carry guilt but I have cultural belief systems that really guide me. Um, and in the African-American culture that I grew up in, it's not so much now with the younger generations, but we don't place our family members, we keep them. So I had to wrestle with that. I had to really talk to God and talk with myself about this. And plus, I told you, we haven't ever had to. So Barbara's going to be the first one to place somebody in our family. Oh, God. That's a lot. (laughs) Um, I called her sisters. I called the elder of the family, the 93-year-old I told you about that is so together, just retired from being the pianist at her church for years and... uh, still lives alone and said I can't do it Aunt Marie and I tell you my Aunt Marie said Barbara Ann I know this is hard but you do what you think is best I know you're taking care of your mom so I'm with you that was hard I bet yeah yeah and I called the other sisters uh, her sisters there's four of them uh, living still and uh, all of them understood. The folks who didn't understand are, and still haven't really accepted it are my brothers. So here you are. You know, you, you have to make this, this decision. You call the family council, the elders, <laughs> the elder women, right? I mean, we're always like the ones like rallying, right? Yes, There's always this little yes, committee in every yes, family, right? Yes, and then now you are dealing with a family situation. Yeah. But I want to learn more a little bit about you, okay? So now mom has been placed. How long has she been placed? Three and a half weeks. Three and a half weeks. And counting, right? You know yes, exactly yes, like how many days. Yes, how yes. are you feeling? I feel so much better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't tell you the relief I felt when I placed mom. For both of us, 
I had gotten to the point where I felt like I wasn't going to be able to give mom the loving care. And I didn't want that to happen. I didn't want to have her and be resentful or bothered or, you know, it was just too much. We had a two and a half day stint that really pushed me into the decision where mom did not sleep. She napped for an hour, 15 minutes, 30 minutes. This went on for two and a half days. Wow. That third morning when I woke up, I said, we've got to go to ER. And when I got there, I told him, uh, I need you to admit her or I'm going to have to take her to the fire station. <laughs> they looked at me like, now I know fire stations are for babies. Wait. I'm well aware of that. But I just wanted them to hear that I'm really serious. This is desperation. And when, and she can't come home with me. I need a social worker. At the time I walked into the ER, I need a social worker. I need an appointment with a social worker. <laughs> I need to do this and do it well. I started my email and uh, internet friend network said this is what's happening this is what i need everybody pray start looking with me help I, I have no problem in asking for help so i saw it coming and i knew it would come it's just i the process for me i had to make sure i was okay how i was doing it um i have a wonderful network of friends and family fr friends of god they're not my blood family I tell everybody, you can't do this alone, nor should you. I, I had a friend who flew in from Arizona, and she came in at the right time. It wasn't even planned that way, but it was during the time I was going through the no sleep and thinking about placing mom, and here she came, and she said, I'm here for two weeks. And she came to rescue for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I had another friend that um, right before this friend came, she came and spent a couple of days with me. She heard me when I called her on the phone and she said, I'm on my way. <laughs> um, I, I just have such a wonderful network of people who know me well enough and I accept that <laughs> when they come and get in my face and say, okay, sit down, you need some help. <laughs> It's, it's okay. And that was it. Yeah. So, so Barbara, looking back, um, if you had like one thing that, like one piece of advice that you had to people in your situation who are, who are dealing with a parent who has dementia, who've taken the, the care of the parent, and you look back at your experience and say, if I had to do something different, that would be the one thing I would do. Something different. I probably would have asked maybe at her doctor's appointments when I saw those things I told you I didn't put together, I probably needed to talk about them because maybe her doctors would have said this could be dementia or something going on cognitively with her. I don't, I don't know if that would have happened and, and that this is not guilt, it's just me looking back. I just didn't see that it was necessary to mention. And, and if you had had the diagnosis, I guess, earlier, mm -hmm. would it have helped you in some way? Like oh, better yeah. planning maybe? or Not better planning, but would have just helped me mentally and physically and emotionally get ready for it. I see, yes. I had the surprise, and, and again, maybe it wouldn't have because nobody in my family has it. I, I wasn't looking for right. it. <laughs> I, I don't even know if that would have 
help, but I think it may have. What I hear is you were ready to, to care for your mom, the way yes. you had care oh, for yes. all the el- elders yes. in the family, yes. but in that way you were unprepared. Yeah. And yeah. that maybe asking questions early would have maybe, you yeah. know, prepared you better yes. for the situation. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, Barbara, this is all the time that we have today, well, but, thank but you. I thank you for sharing. And what I want to do is I'm giving you, like, just I'm making it up on the spot, the okay. caregiver award for today. <laughs> because I'm like, you deserve this, okay? You deserve the medal. I'll accept it. <laughs> yes, you should. You know, I, I think there are moments in our lives when it, it's like we don't get to walk across the stage. So let's have you mentally walk across that stage, get your diploma, and say, really, you did a tremendous job. I heard so much love from you, Thank you. Uh, about your mom's such thoughtful ways of dealing with her situation. I feel very honored and blessed to have heard you today. Thank you. I appreciate that. So thank you for thank coming you, today. So um, listeners, today we've spoken with Barbara Lewis, who is a, a Houston caregiver. Uh, Barbara has shared with us her story of, of her and her mother. Um, if you are interested in learning more about caregiving planning resources, please visit the AARP Caregiving website online. And as always, if you thought this podcast was helpful or if you have friends or family who are new to caregiving, by all means, invite them to follow the Prepare to Care podcast at iTunes, SoundCloud, and at www.aarp.org slash HoustonPTC. Visit our website, take the Prepare to Care podcast, um, the survey, and, and help us improve future episodes. And please share this podcast with friends and family. Thanks for listening. And as always, thanks for caring. <laughs>